All right, we have a special treat here this morning. Uh, we often take a minute and have someone share their story. And today my son, Caleb, is going to share his story. So round of applause for Caleb. Thanks for the warm welcome, everyone. As my father said, I am Caleb, son of John. And <laughs> without further ado, as you guys may know, I was raised in a Christian household. My mom is a Christ follower. My dad just so happens to be a pastor here. Um, so growing up, I always knew about the gospel. Jesus died on the cross as payment for the sins I have committed and will commit. But I just didn't see a need for God in my life for most of my youth. I felt this way until one fateful day in Parkeshawn, Kenya. I was 14, and I was on a mission trip with my dad and some church members. Back then, I feel like I was a pretty selfish kid. So naturally, I didn't have a good time. <laughs> the native people slaved to make their best food for us, but it wasn't good enough for 14-year-old me. And of course, the manual labor wasn't very fun either. And to top things off, a friend of mine that had been living in Bogota, Colombia, was visiting for the summer, but he got to Orlando around the same time that I left for Kenya. All of this put me at rock bottom, and for the first in my life, first time in my life, I felt a need for God. I felt a need for a savior. So one night, as my dad and I are laying in our mosquito net covered hammocks, I prayed to God, confessing him as my Lord, as I believed in my heart that Jesus is my savior. That was the moment I gained eternity with God, but it was just the beginning of my story. Because this wasn't the centerpiece moment of my life, this marked the beginning of the life God made for me. Though I started to gain a desire to tell people about Jesus, the next few years of my life were ruled by fear stemming from low self-confidence and self-worth. I wanted my friends to know about Jesus and to be saved as I was, but that meant having some difficult conversations with them, and it just never seemed worth risking the few friendships I had for the sake of the gospel. I continued feeling this way until I finally went off to college a year and a half ago. When I got to Ohio State, I immediately got involved with the H2O, campus, H2O church on campus there. Growing up, I had always felt like I didn't really have a Christian community I could call my own. There were a few Christian meetings and retreats here and there, but, wait. Give me a sec. Yeah, there were a few Christian meetings and retreats I went to, but I never had a group of people my age I could seek God with. I got to experience that for the first time at H2O at Ohio State. I had friends that loved God and wanted to know him just as I did. Since going to Kenya, I've always had faith in Jesus, but being on my own for the first time at Ohio State, I felt like I was finally able to make my faith my own. One of the most impactful experiences I had at OSU was with my roommate and friend Jacob. Around the end of my first semester at college, Jacob started to come to church with me on Sundays. <laughs> For a few weeks, nothing really came of this, but about a month into spring semester, Jacob started ask, asking me questions about God. So Jacob and I started reading scripture together and learning about God together. The first five or so times we talked, he didn't really have any input at all. I would ask him what he thought a passage meant, 
and he just wouldn't know, so I'd go ahead and tell him what I thought it meant. But one time we, we read a passage, I asked him about it, and he gave me an answer. What he told me was exactly what I was prepared to share with him. And so for the first time, I saw that God had given him understanding. As God continued to work through our talks, Jacob eventually told me he had given his life to Christ. <laughs> and so a month later, as the, as the picture shows, I got to baptize him. Until this point, I didn't see myself as one whom God could use to share the gospel. I felt like I should know more about the Bible. I should have a stronger faith. I should have more verses memorized. You know, the list goes on. But what I was telling myself was a lie. What I was telling myself was that I would never be enough and that God couldn't use me. What God showed me was that I am enough and he can use me. Despite being a sinful, messed up, broken human being that I am, God can use me. And if God can use me, I know he can use you guys too. You just got to let him. You got to give him a chance to. You got to give him a chance to show up in your life. Throughout middle school and high school, I never gave God that chance. I never gave him that opportunity. I was too afraid. But once I finally gave him that chance in college, he didn't disappoint. And that's my story. That was awesome. Nice job. I didn't think through the necessity of teaching after I heard Caleb's testimony. That was really awesome. That was really awesome. One thing he didn't share in the story was after he gave his life to Christ there in Africa, he turns to me and he, he says, so, Dad, you want to do push-ups? Like, no, it's 10 o'clock at night, I don't. So uh, the reason we do this, the reason we have someone share their story, our hope is to do that each week uh, here at H2O, is it inspires us, doesn't it? It connects with where we're at. It gives us hope. So if you want to be a person that shares your story, uh, what you need to do is initiate with Lisa, Lisa at h2ochurch.org, and write out your story. You need to be a regular part of H2O, and then we'll consider giving you the opportunity to share your story as well. So with regards to the Mikesell family, which is facing terminal cancer, I just want to say on behalf of our leadership team, thank you. I think that the way that we have stepped up and shown love to that family is absolutely stellar. Uh, my favorite moment was with Justy. She was not alone in dumpster diving. I was there too. We talked about Ohio State as we dug through the trash. What could be more beautiful than that moment? So we really do want to be the hands and feet in Jesus, of Jesus, not just theologically, but in what we actually live out with our lives. Uh, this morning, I'm going to speak on the, the first part of this series called Jesus' Dream. Jesus' dream for the church. He has a dream. He has a vision. He had something in his mind when he used the word church for the first time. Will you look with me at Matthew 16? Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to Peter specifically, and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build whose church? My church. My church. 
We do not have the right to do with it what we want. It's his church. He dreamt up the idea, his invention. We submit to his blueprint in the scriptures. I will build my church. I'll be active in it. I'll be working through it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is not a building with locked doors. It's a living organism reaching out to people, even at the gates of hell, to rescue them through Jesus. Now, at this moment, I want to tell you how this did not play out. After Jesus announced the church to his disciples, Peter did not come strolling up, pulling Jesus aside and saying, Hey, Lord, I know, I know what you're dreaming of here. I got it. This idea of the church, just imagine with me. Jesus, just, just listen for a minute. Imagine architecture. Gothic cathedrals, stained glass windows, pews. Great idea, right? No. Peter goes on to idea number two. The church, this could be like an exclusive social club. Like we can keep all the bad people out and keep all the good people in. He goes on to idea number three. I know what you're thinking, Jesus. We can make this thing, the church, the political organization. We can tell people how they must vote to vote right. We can protest things that are wrong in society. We can pick it. I even brought my sign. One more idea, Jesus. This is going to change the world. Bingo night. The dream in Jesus' heart is very different than what we see in our world here today. And his idea was and is brilliant. So listen to me. After Jesus rose again from the dead, the first followers of Jesus came up with what is really a startling realization. That the body of Jesus on earth had been replaced with a second body made up of all of his people. Think about that. That's really amazing, isn't it? And it wasn't like Jesus on earth was great, and then plan B, this isn't so good. Jesus said, it is to your advantage if I leave, because you have no idea what's coming. So this idea of Jesus' body being Christians all over the world being inspired by his love and walking in obedience to him is just an amazing, amazing thing. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. That God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of Christ, who fills all in all. And I don't know what that does for you guys, but that greatly inspires me for what Jesus wants to accomplish through us. So I want to pray for you guys. We need to stop playing church and learn how to live out 
being the church. Today, I want to speak about spiritual gifts. So if you could bow your head with me. Father God, I I just ask you, Lord, to be faithful to what you've already said, that you, having taken the sins of the world on your back, death could not hold you, but you ascended and you sat down at the right hand of God, the Father, in order to pour out your power through all people everywhere. And so we ask, connect the dots to our hearts today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I got three big ideas uh, here this morning, and then three things maybe you've never heard about what is called spiritual gifts or Jesus working through his people. Number one, I, big idea. Jesus has given superpowers. Jesus has given superpowers to his body, the church. Superpowers are spiritual gifts. So who likes superpowers? What's your favorite superpower in the movies today? Flying. Flying's a big one. Gravity. Time travel. <laughs> What'd you say? Time travel. Time travel. That's cool. What else? Teleporting. That's cool. So super strength is good. Just to clarify here, we're not talking about uh, Iron Man and Batman. The belt and the suit, those are not superpowers, actually, technically, just to be clear. Um, shape-shifting. Here's one. That's kind of cool. Be able to change... Your body, can you go to the next slide, please? Shape, shape-shifting. Um, telekinesis. I would love to just stick my hand out and have my cup of coffee come to me. That would be great. Um, maybe my favorite is the next image. Sitting. No, it's the superpower of invisibility. There's a second person sitting right there. You can tell I'm overextended if I think sitting and relaxing is a superpower. That'd be awesome. That'd be so cool. Yeah, my point is that what we have going on in all the movies today, superpowers, is that that's actually what Jesus gave to the church. Not just natural talents, but superpowers. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit varieties of spiritual gifts or superpowers. Let's think about our superpowers here just for a minute. And I mean this completely honestly. You guys are amazing. We have an amazing church. The gift of administration, a person who can look at the situation with the Mikesels and say, I'm going to organize all of this into projects and break down everything that needs to happen on every day and organize meals for this family. That's amazing. The gift of mercy that some of you guys have when somebody is hurting, the ability to put your hand on their shoulder or say words that just cause them to get in touch with the love of God is an amazing superpower. Some people here, many people here have the gift of serving. One individual I I know, I told her this last week, in the last 30 years that I've known her, she has served every single day and has never had anything but a smile on her face. That is absolutely amazing. But I want you to notice the word variety here. 
God has gifted every person differently. You do not need to be me, and I do not need to be you. You just need to know who you are and walk in that gifting. God has shaped us uniquely. Verse 5. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So just as a spiritual gift is different from one person to another, so different ministries or churches will look very, very different from one another. Here's the second big idea. Spiritual gifts will look very different from one church to another. You know, some churches are, are, are very gifted with teaching and with being able to exposit the scriptures and with knowledge and with doctrine. Other churches seem very gifted with faith. It's like, hey, let's go raise $26 million and build a colossal building. And we're like, hey, let's raise $100. You know, that's not our gift, apparently. <laughs> but churches are very, very different in their gifting. Some churches are incredible at serving the needs of the world. Other churches are incredible at reaching unchurched people. Every church is different in its gifting. That, the whole illustration of the body of Christ, if you can go to the next image, please. The whole illustration of a body is it's made up of different body parts, and they're not in competition. All are needed for Jesus to be seen. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, as he desires. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. My point here is that the body of Christ on earth is not H2O. Like, we're like a pinky finger. Or we're a little, a little toe or something. We're just one part of the beauty of what God is doing throughout the, the world. So if you love H2O, great. I'm really glad you do. Let us love one another and let us love what God is doing through us. But let us have the maturity to say of every other ministry that is walking in its gifting and blessing the world and saying, man, I love that about you. I love what God is doing all across the world, not just here. It's really interesting, actually. Spiritual gifts are meant to unite. They're meant to show us that we need one another. And yet there are a few things that are more divisive than this topic of spiritual gifts. Churches argue about them and debate one another instead of just recognizing that we're gifted differently from one another. Verse 6. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There's something here I want us to understand. Christians, when we begin to speak about spiritual gifts, often separate spiritual gifts into miraculous gifts and natural gifts. Supernatural, natural, miraculous, non-miraculous. There have been times when I've been talking with someone, and I don't know where, but how this happens, but a, an idea pops into my head out of nowhere 
that as I share it with the person seems to be exactly what they needed to hear in that moment. Some would call that a word of knowledge and would say, well, that's a miraculous gift. And then they'd say serving, getting up and taking care of people's needs, that that's not a miraculous gift. And I, I want us to, to be done with that thinking. I strongly disagree with separating spiritual gifts into miraculous and non-miraculous. One of my gifts, whether small or great, is teaching. Maybe it's a small gift. I don't know. But there's nothing natural about it. I seek God saying, what do you want me to tell your people? And while I teach, I rely on God. I want God to drip out of this gift. It's not a natural gift. It's a supernatural thing. I know that because I've given what I thought was a great teaching and seen little impact. And I've given what is a lame, oh, I'm so sorry, teaching and had people powerfully impacted. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord doing something through us. You think about serving. Serving is a gift. We're all called to serve, but serving is a, a gift to some people. And it'd be easy to think that, gosh, that's just natural. In a self-centered world where everyone orients their lives around themselves, for someone to say, I'm actually going to orient my life around other people and come early and give coffee or think about how to meet needs, guys, that's a miracle. <laughs> that is amazing. So I'd encourage us not to separate in our mind between these things. The reason this is important to me is that we've got to learn to just surrender who we are no matter what that gift is, to surrender who we are. So the third big idea is this. God not only gifts us, but he empowers us. H2O, we need to be done with the thinking that God wants us to do more and strive harder. We need to be done with the thinking that Christianity is trying hard to do good. It is a tendency in Christianity to dummy down what God has called us to do into activities that we can accomplish without Jesus. And if I read my Bible well, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. So we can begin our day as a college student, as a teacher, a doctor, a plumber, whatever it is, and we can just say, here's my agenda, here's what I have going on today. Or we can begin by saying, Lord, live through me. I surrender my life to you in this moment. So the question is, is God really empowering your life? Is God really empowering you? Because it took me a long time to reach a point where I realized there's a John 1.0 and there's a John 2.0 and I really don't like the 1.0. I really like the 2.0. I really like being surrendered to God and bringing my gifts to the world through his power. 
And that's what God, I believe that's what God wants us to hear as a church, is to be surrendered in that way. A couple of cool words, cool to me, maybe they're not cool to you. Uh, the Greek word pneuma, which means breath of God. Breath of God, it's like God breathes out. The Greek word charis, which means grace of God. So as we think about this topic of spiritual gifts, here's where this leads us. Spiritual gifts are God breathing in and through you to grace others. Isn't that beautiful? To face each day and to know that God wants to breathe in and through me to give grace to other people. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I just want you to notice the word each there. What that means is that each Christian has a spiritual gift. Some of you know what your gift is. Some of you do not know what your gift is. But every person, when we make that decision and, and we yield our heart to Jesus in an act of faith and repentance and we come to him and we're saved... Each person receives a spiritual gift, a unique thing that Jesus gives to you as the principal way he wants to use you to change the world. Caleb really didn't make a big deal out of this in his testimony, but he shared with me privately that when he was friends, well, he still is friends with Jacob, but when he was reaching out to Jacob, there's this moment where it's like, this is really awkward for me to talk to you about Jesus. But he jumped out there anyway. And my point is this. If you want to walk in your spiritual gift, there's a degree of risk here. There's a degree of putting yourself out there. I'm going to just take a risk, put myself out there, and just see what God, hap what God does through us. See what happens. So do you guys know what your spiritual gifts are? There's a number of major sections of the Bible that talk about our spiritual gifts. We're just going to look at one, and very briefly today. Romans 12 is what we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians 12 is another section. Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter 4. There's all these sections throughout the scripture that talk about that. Let's look at Romans 12. Um, there's a number of gifts we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about administration or discernment, or faith, or healings, or being a helper, or hospitality, or knowledge, or miracles, or tongues, or wisdom, or evangelism, or celibacy. Believe it or not, the Bible lists celibacy as a gift from God, because there are some Christians in the first century that were so excited about what Jesus had done for them that they chose to never marry, to be undistracted in their devotion. I know many of us would probably think, God, do not give me that gift. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in a portion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What is mercy? Mercy is demonstrating Jesus' love to other people. Whose love? It all starts with him. 
Serving is demonstrating Jesus' servant heart to other people. Whose servant heart? Jesus. It all starts with him. Teaching demonstrates Jesus' commitment to sharing about God with the world. Exhorting is Jesus' desire for each of us to grow. It's a person that comes alongside another person and encourages them and coaches them and says, you can do it. Giving is the demonstration of Jesus' generosity. He gave his life and he empowers us. I remember, this is probably about two years ago, we had taken a Saturday and we were serving out there in the community and I was with a couple of friends of mine, Roger and Marisol, and there was a family there. It's so amazing that this small little incident is, just touched me. There's a family that was looking at something there in the grocery store, and I remember the mom saying to the, the child, no, we can't, we can't afford those hot dogs. And I thought it was so cool that Marisol said, no, we've got to do something. And she intervened with generosity to just help spontaneously. Just as we go through life, just being a blessing, let God breathe through, in and through us to give grace to people. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. Leadership is demonstrating Jesus' organizational power inspiring and delegating. Prophecy is the main one on this list that is confusing for many people. The primary use of it in the New Testament is not telling what's going to happen in the future. Instead, it is being very sensitive to what God wants a person to hear. It's saying something where the impression left on the other person is, I felt like God spoke through you to me. That is prophecy. Our whole goal in going over this here is not to define a spiritual gift so that you would say, oh, I have the gift of serving, but that we'd unwrap that gift and learn how to express these things to the world. So on our app, we have a lot of notes, and you can go back and work through some of these things and discuss them uh, with friends and figure out what your gift may be. We also hope to offer uh, an online spiritual gifts test to help you with that. But I want to take a few minutes and share with you in closing a few things that maybe you've never heard about spiritual gifts. And the first is this, is that you're a gift. You're a gift from the Father to the Son. I don't know if you've ever thought that way. Some of you are going to push back on that and say, who am I? I mean, what am I? Some of us are, are too stuck in, in shame or weaknesses. You would never, ever, ever describe yourself as a gift. You would think that if someone said, I am a gift, you would call them proud. Well, pride is disagreeing with what the scripture says about us. So look with me at John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is Jesus speaking and saying that human beings are given from the Father to the Son as a gift. Other scriptures say that we are his inheritance 
Think about this. At the end of all human history, we're standing before God in final judgment. And God says to Jesus, hey, I have a present for you. I have a gift. What is it? This person and this person and this person and this person. The reason this is important is when we begin to believe that we are a gift and we walk in our gifting toward other people, the world has changed. Let's get beyond our small thinking. Let's get beyond our shame. Let's get beyond thinking so lowly of ourselves. This is an incredible church of gifted people that need to walk in the way God has created you. Amen to that? You guys hear that? You're a gift. You're a gift. Get over yourself and be that gift to the world. Second thing is this. In a busy, stressed-out world, your gift must be stoked. Your gift must be stoked. The Apostle Paul became good friends with a young man named Timothy, and he mentored Timothy throughout his life. When he wrote 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think it's verse 12, somewhere around 63 A.D., He noticed something in Timothy. He said to Timothy, don't neglect your gift. But then time went by. And at the end of his life, Paul sitting in a prison, about to be put to death under Nero, he had some final words for his protege Timothy, and it's found in 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, for this reason, I remind you, fan into into a flame the gift of God. Let whatever gift God has given you roar mightily. But we must do something. We must stoke the fire that is within us. Speaking very personally and honestly, uh, I'm as refreshed as I can remember being. But I also know in my past You can lose your fire through busyness. You can lose your fire through exhaustion. You can lose your fire through timidity. You can lose your fire by looking at yourself. You can lose your fire through the fear of failure. You can lose your fire through guilt and shame. And the scripture says, fan it into a flame. Fan it into a flame. You can get it back. You can let that fire roar because this world does not need a bunch of tired, overextended people. This world needs you and I walking in the gift that is ignited by a choice in our hearts. The last thing is this. It's only gifts that are broken and blessed that get multiplied. I want you to imagine the story of the little boy that looking at the vast crowd of people in front of Jesus and was it five loaves and two fish or the other way around? Okay, I got it right. He had so little to offer, but he took his little fish and loaves and said, here you go, Jesus. And Jesus lifted it up to the Father, and then he broke it and handed it out. And in that process of being blessed and broken, people's lives were filled 
because of that choice. So this morning, I just want to say, we have been gifted by a God that wants to fill all that we do, that we would walk in his power and not our own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you stand with us? Bobby's going to prayerfully lead us into worship here this morning.